The following content is provided to you as a ministry of Snowbird Wilderness Outfitters, a high-adventure Christian wilderness camp in Andrews, North Carolina. Snowbird Wilderness Outfitters exist to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ through the exposition of Scripture and personal relationships in order to equip the church to impact this generation. For more information, visit our website at swoutfitters.com or follow us on Twitter using the handle at SnowbirdSwo. Enjoy the message. Tell you what, it's good to be here. I got um, uh, 16 years ago, I stepped foot on this property for the first time. I brought some boys up here from Eagle Ranch. Uh, I was a house dad there for three years, and I brought some boys up here, and I'm just trying to figure out this whole new life. I, I, I'd been a cop for 12 years, and I, I, I stepped here, and, and I'm looking at this crazy place, and that the only thing that was really here was a metal building down there and some cabins, and but I remember uh, there was a kid that got baptized that week, and we were down. And I'm just trying to soak all this new stuff in, this ministry stuff. I'd never been exposed to this before. And, and we're down there at the swimming hole, or the, we're the, down there by the snack shack, and they, there was a kid getting baptized down there. And I remember uh, locking eyes with Rob Connie. You guys know, a lot of you guys know Rob Connie. He was a young guy on staff at the time. And I barely knew him, but he was assigned to our, our tent as a counselor. And uh, I just remember seeing him tear up, and I'm thinking, man, this place is for real. You know, it, the, the, what they're doing here is not just uh, doing crazy uh, rope swings and, and, and paintball and all these, these events, but they're reaching the hearts of these kids and, and that's what it's all about. It's all about bringing the gospel. All these things that you see around this place is about bringing the gospel to people's hearts. And, um, you know, back then it was, I, I think Brody stuck his head in the trash can. Everybody was like, ah, you know, and, uh, people did crazy things with, uh, uh, just to get to the hearts of these kids. So that's where the connection started. So uh, I know you guys have, uh, you guys get a good night's sleep last night? Anybody snore in your tent in your cabin? Yeah, everybody's pointing at each other. I know Hank Parker. You got you're here. I know you can talk and everybody's staying awake. Yeah, I see. Uh, so so when I come here, sometimes Brody's got this old cabin up, uh, this old cabin up in the woods, and he says, "Yeah, you can stay up there and, and you know study and get prepared for your message." And um, so I'm heading over there and I'm getting getting ready to just get some quiet time and getting. He's like, oh, by the way, I got a puppy. I said, "Oh, okay, that's good." And um, so I get there, and I'm about two in the morning. We stayed up late, and I'm I'm getting in about three in the morning. I'm sound asleep. I drove down from West Virginia, and I feel the whole bed shaking. I was like, "What in the world's going on?" I'm trying to get my bearings, and and that dog is humping my pillow, and <laughs> and I'm thinking, and I'm trying to get my bearings. And I was like, "What the heck is this dog doing?" And uh, so I jumped out of my sleeping bag and I grabbed that thing and I, I don't know where Brody's at, I just gently tossed him out the door. So. If you see that little gray dog running around, don't let him in your tent, especially at night. Yeah. First Peter 1.13 reads, Therefore, prepare your mind for action. Be self-controlled. Put your hope fully 
and the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. You know, my journey started, uh, my father passed away when I was 13 years old. My mom had to go back to work. Our whole, my whole teen years became a train wreck. And as I, as I drifted through my teen years, uh, I really began searching for the, what, what is life about? What, is, what, is, what are we here for? And I can remember my father talking about when I, re- he would say, when I retire, I want to do this. When I retire, I want to pursue things for God. And he always had this caveat of when he retired, he was going to then begin to act and pursue things for God. And, 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 I, and it, was, it was 13 months before he hit that retirement age. And he worked for this oil and gas company his whole life. And 13 months before he retired, he passed away from cancer. And I, and I saw that cancer just whittling his body away. It, but as I saw his, his physical body dwindling, I, I, I witnessed something as a, as a young man. I witnessed his, his spirit growing. I, rem- I remember just seeing him reading the scriptures. He just spent hours just in the, in the scriptures, just pouring into it. And, and I know he wanted to live, and I, and, I, and I couldn't understand it at the time. I can look back now and see why things fell into those events, because it shaped me who I am today. But my father died when I was 13, and I kind of drifted into these, these teen years off track. And when I was 20 years old, I was at the University of Georgia, and I thought, you know what? I'm tired of living this way, and I'm not honoring God. I'm not honoring my, my father, and, and I need to turn things around. And I began diving into the scriptures, and I landed on Ephesians 2. And Ephesians 2 talks about we're created for good works. And I began searching, and I began trying to figure, and I can remember going back, just like Brody was talking about last night, I landed in the Old Testament, and I began looking at uh, David's life, and I, and I read things for the first time like he was a man after God's own heart, and I thought, man, I want to be that guy. I wanna, how do I be that guy? How do I get to that point? I want to be a, a guy after God's own heart. I want to be uh, worthy, I want to live a life worthy of being written down. I want to honor my honor God with my life. I want to honor God with the direction I take and the decisions I make. I want to love the things that God loves. I want to love um, the people that God loves. I want to despise the things that God despises. I, and I, I remember just kind of wrestling through this as a young man. I didn't have anybody speaking into my life, so I was just kind of going into the scriptures on my own, and I was trying to figure this course out. And I can remember reading about the mighty men. And I thought, you know what? I want to be, I want to be something like that one day. I want to, I want to have a crazy, exciting life and, and just have a, a life worthy of being recorded down. And it wasn't, it wasn't long after that that I, I started thinking about um, my career path and how that would honor God. And I found myself being drawn to law enforcement. And within a few months, I, I got into police work, and for 12 years, I was a cop in Metro Atlanta. And those years were, uh, they were very formative for me. Uh, they, they made me who I am today. I ended up uh, working with a gang unit in Atlanta. I worked, ended up working on a street crimes unit. And um, those days were, uh, they, they were awesome. There were some fun times. Um, but, but during that time, I began seeing a lot of young men that their lives were ending tragically. 
I've saw kids ended up in body bags. I saw kids ended up behind bars for the rest of their teen years. And, and, and during that time, I was just struggling with it. I said, God, how, what can I do more? How can I get involved more with these kids? And my wife and I began what if in our lives. You know, it, it's a conversation, what if this happens? What if we do this? What if we don't do this? And over time, and I'm talking years of what if conversations, and begin praying about it. And we began searching for our next step, our next chapter, and f- figuring out, okay, God, what do you want us to do with the rest of our lives? Do you want me to be a cop? I'll be a cop the rest of my life. That's fine. But I feel like there's something more. And it was during that time, too, that for the first time in my life, I began circling the wagons with some men. I found some men in my church, and I said, you know what? I need, some, I need some guys to speak into my life. I'm feeling these stirrings. I'm feeling these, these, uh, these promptings. I'm feeling God tapping me on the shoulder, and I'm not sure what to do with it. And for a handful of guys, for a season of my life, they began speaking into my life. And we found, my wife and I ended up going to work for a children's home called Eagle Ranch. And Eagle Ranch is up in North Georgia. And we did three years there. And it was during that time that... Um, the vision for starting a children's home in West Virginia began to connect, and all the dots started to connect. And one thing I learned in law enforcement is um, there's a thing called readiness. Uh, they're they're going to be teaching a class, I think, this afternoon, situational awareness. I heard some guys talking about it um, at uh, breakfast. Same thing. Where's... Uh, Where's Robbie Jacks? Is he in here? Oh, he's standing over there. Okay, so we got some cops in the room. And um, former cops, retired cops, current cops. So if you ever go to eat with Robbie Jacks, it's crazy to watch his eyes. He'll take, he'll take the door. He'll watch the door. And, uh, and he's, he's scanning. He's, he's talking to you, but he's, he's, <laughs> he's, he is looking everybody up and down that comes through the room. And uh, Brody and I went on a hunting trip over in Ohio this past fall, and we went out to dinner with Robbie, and I was just watching his eyes, because I, I know what he's doing. He's, he's making sure everything's safe. He's making sure everything's, uh, he's trying to figure out, do I know this guy? What's this guy doing? I can read his hands, I can read his eyes, I can read his motions. Um, it, Robbie's the kind of guy you want with, with, you don't want to put his back to the front door. You want him to uh, be watching the front door. And as men, we need to all learn how to do that. We need to learn to get into situational awareness, some readiness. They, they taught us in law enforcement at the academy. I was 21 years old, and they taught us that um, there, there's, and it may, this is dated, so any of these current guys can throw a tomato at me, but this is what I learned back then. There was four, there was four levels of situational awareness. There was, there was white, there was yellow, there was red, there was black. And... White is like when you're drifting off to sleep. I think I hear that guy on stage. I'm not really sure what's going on. That was a good breakfast. Um, man, I wonder what we're going to do this afternoon. It'd be fun to shoot. Yeah, I, wonder, I heard a noise. I'm not sure what that was. You know, it just, just kind of, you're, you're lucid. You're not asleep, but you're not really sure what's going on around you. Yellow is when you're alert and you're watching. Like I was talking about Robbie watching the door and watching people's motions. And, and you're not suspicious of everybody, but you're just being 
cautious. You're being aware of your surroundings. You're being attuned to the actions of others. And you're just, you're just looking. You're watching. When you're talking to somebody, you see somebody come in. A, in a, um, you might be talking to a friend, but you might see somebody come in the, the store, and you might want to just glance and look and read people. Get to know people. Um, and then red is when you act. So as in law enforcement, when, we, when I'd be out on the streets and I'd be dealing with somebody, and I, I could sense when somebody was about to run. You could pick up on it, okay? Uh, you can sense when somebody's got something in their pocket. You can watch them across 30 yards away across a gas station. They're, they're swinging one arm, and they got one arm stationary. You know something's over there that shouldn't be there. They're protecting it. People, their body language speaks things. And when you approach somebody, and you, you just got to be prepared to act. You got to be prepared to move into that red zone and get the job done. Okay? And I'm going to talk about moving this from physical application to spiritual application. But what I'm trying to resonate with you guys is that you guys are here this weekend. You guys are learning about shooting. You guys are learning. Some of you guys have never even slept in a sleeping bag before. This is all new to you. But you guys are, you guys are experiencing new things. But I want for you guys to, what, what I want for you to take home with you, I want to resonate in your soul, is that this, this white, yellow, red, black, that's simple to remember, and you guys can start changing the patterns. You guys can start uh, becoming ready in your homes. You can become ready in your churches. And black is obviously out of control, okay? I've seen that a few times, almost experienced it a few times, uh, it's in a fight for your life. It's, it's, uh, uh, it, it's, it's when you begin to, to go beyond um, a zone of safety. And you're not safe to yourself. You're not safe to others. And it's just, it's, just, uh, it's chaos. Okay? So I can remember uh, as, as, I was, as I was growing up through my early 20s and I had just gotten into law enforcement and I'm trying to figure this out I'm trying to figure out what the heart of God is and what my purpose is and and this whole thing is new and I'm getting into this whole other culture of of law enforcement and I'm studying the scriptures one day and I come across this this awesome passage in in Matthew 8 and it was so encouraging to me and and, uh, I'm going to read this to you when Jesus had uh, let me back up for a second um, centurions back in the day of Christ were, were the police in that town. They, they maintained order. They maintained uh, justice. They were, um, they, they were authority figures uh, in that time. And so Jesus had entered Capernaum, and a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed in terrible suffering. Jesus said to him, I will go and heal him. The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. But just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority and soldiers under me. I tell this one go and he goes. And I tell this one come and he comes. I say to my servant, do this and he does it. And this is what really floored me. Jesus said... When Jesus heard this, he was astonished. He was amazed in some translations. And said to those following him, 
I tell you the truth, I have not found anyone in Israel with such a great faith. I say to you that many will come to Many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown out into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, Go, and it will be done just as you believed it would. And a servant was healed at that very hour. When I was a young man and I was growing up, and I, I you know, sometimes I had um, some doubts about my profession. I had some doubts about where I was going. And I can remember diving into that scripture. And, and, and if, you, if you take it apart, you can see where here's a man of authority. Here's a man that probably approached Christ with a sword on his hip. And Christ has given him probably the biggest compliment in the Gospels. He's given him, the, he's given him uh, he, it says he was astonished, he was amazed. And, and, and as I went forward in my, in my walk with the Lord and I went forward in my, my time in law enforcement, that encouraged me to, to be bold. Uh, and, and I learned that if I prepared myself not only mentally, but I began to prepare myself spiritually, things would happen. And so I had this tradition when I, I, we had these take-home police cars, and it would be out in my driveway, and I'd go down, and I'd get in my garage, and I'd get on my knees, and I would pray. And I'd say, God, I'm going to be on shift for the next nine hours. Let's, let's give me something, give me something to, give me someone to pour into. Give me someone to speak into, Lord. Let me cross paths with somebody out there in the world that's hurting. Um, and sometimes it was, it was just uh, helping somebody across the street, or sometimes it was speaking into the life of a young man at a, at a, at a weak moment. Sometimes it was taking somebody to jail, and I'd, be, I'd have the opportunity to speak to him and witness to him in my back seat, and we'd have these awesome conversations, and I'd slow the car down a little bit. But God began using those years to form me to where we're at today. I just didn't wake up one day and say, hey, I'm going to start a children's home in West Virginia. It was this journey. It was this long process uh, of getting there. And for you guys going home, what, is, what are you going to tell your wives when you get home? What are you going to say? Hey, you know, they're going to say, hey, how was your weekend? How was it? Oh, it was awesome. We, I did this three-man swing, and we, we sat around the campfire, and we talked about... Uh, the, the guns we shot, that they, you know, a lot of you guys are going to go home and you're going to have this stirring to do something different. You're going to have this stirring, you know, I want to be ready to act differently. I want to be doing things better. I want to get into my marriage better. I want to become a prayer warrior in my house. I want to begin to teach my children at a deeper level. And, and how do you do that? Do you walk in with a sword and say, hey, things are different. You know, we're gonna, I'm laying down the law and things are different. Learn to discern those moments. That's not going to work very well. Get into your home and maybe sit down with your wife and say, you know what, I, I, I probably need to, to start parenting a little better. I probably need to get more involved with the church. I probably, why don't we start praying at, at night before we go to bed? Um, this is the simplest thing to do, 
and it's some of the hardest things for men to do. But when you tuck your boys in at night, just get on your knees and pray with them. Begin to teach them to be ready on their own. Begin to teach them situational awareness in their own spiritual walk. Guys, you're it. You're the front line on this. You're the mighty men in your home. This is your territory. This is your bean field. Um, figure it out and begin to act. You know, I, I've, got, uh, I've got a 10-year-old son, and every night we get down, and, and I got it, we just got our tradition. I pray. I get on my knees next to him. I pray over his life. I pray over our family. I pray over our country, our president, our vice president. And I let, and he's hearing these things, and, he's, and it's resonating with him. And over time, he begins reciprocating this stuff, and he begins to build a heart for other people, and he be, begins to learn how to pray uh, pretty boldly now, you know, because there's been situations where I've asked him to pray at uh, a dinner table, and it's those, it's those small moments that I've taken over the years, those most powerful moments where I'm standing in my bean field on the edge of my son's bed, and I'm saying, I'm going to stand my ground right here, and I'm going to teach my son something. Uh, guys, that you brought your sons here this weekend, congratulate. It's awesome. I love seeing the, this father and son interaction. I, I met a guy here yesterday who brought his son in, and we, we shook hands. We talked for a little bit, and he said, all right, son, let's go over here and just dive into some scripture. And I saw those two go off. I thought, man, that's it. And, you know, that, that's, um, that's our front line. That's our front line. That's where we're going to take new territory. Thought I brought water out here. Um, I'm gonna tell this story. We had, uh, thank you. So this was back in probably. This was probably one of the craziest fights I was in. I want to say this story to wake some of you guys up. I know it's early. Your bellies are full. So I was on this special unit, and we get, um, it's, about, it's about three or four in the afternoon. It's still daylight. I'm in Atlanta. I'm on this special unit, so I don't have to answer 911 calls. And I hear this call go out of the radio of an unknown problem. And that was real common in our area because we lived in, uh, there, there was, a, it was an area of Atlanta that was heavy with Hispanics and Asians. And a lot of times they would, I mean, I don't know if it was, simple as a car breaking down sometimes they couldn't communicate to the dispatcher there was a there was a, a void in communication and so the dispatcher would just send somebody out there to figure out what was going on so I hear this run, young rookie get called out there and he gets um he gets on scene and I'm listening and I'm and I'm I'm almost in the white zone I've been sitting there doing paperwork for about an hour and I've got my I'm kind of backed into a parking lot and I'm, I'm just writing reports but I'm paying attention to this officer, and then I hear, I, I just hear him screaming on the radio, just screaming like a girl, and I thought, this is, this is going from yellow, white to red really fast. I'm throwing all my paperwork on the floor, and, 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 it, and it's on, and we're all, the cavalry's just showing up, because we don't really know what's going on, um, but we get there, and I remember it was an apartment complex, and I remember walking out my car, and I'm trying to find this guy, and this officer, he's, he's running towards me, and, and he's just exhausted, and uh, he's got blood on his shirt, and there's this big bloody handprint right over his gun, and I said, what's going on? He's like, 
that guy. And I turn around, and this, this guy's walking towards us like the Terminator. And he's got, um, this guy was about 280 pounds, and he has, his, he's got flesh just hanging off of his arms. You could see part of his bone. And he's got um, part of his eye, his eye was like partially out of the socket. And this is the craziest looking thing. I'd, I'd, so we get, uh, we're trying to figure out what's wrong with this guy. And he's not really being overly aggressive. He's just kind of walking at us. And, and, and next thing I know, there's about six officers around this guy. And, and, he's, and he's continuing to come at us. And we're like, you know, do we shoot him? Do we, what do we do with this guy? Um, well, we, we moved in and, and the fight was on. And this guy was tossing us around like rag dolls. I mean, he, the strength on him was crazy. I remember just grabbing his arm, and I could feel bone and flesh, and he would just pull it away, and we, we were finally able to get this guy, and he's one of these guys that had a real big girth, and it took, you know, we had to daisy chain the handcuffs to get him, because he couldn't get him close enough, so we get him on the ground, and EMS gets there, and they're saying, this guy's going to die, this guy's going to bleed out, what happened to him, and we're going, we don't know what happened to him, and I'm asking the rookie, I said, what happened? And he said, I got here, and he was laying over in the, in the parking lot on just a pool of blood. And I went over, and I said, hey, are you all right? And he goes, the guy got up and just started walking at us, uh, or walking at me. And he goes, I, I drew my gun, and he wasn't really being aggressive. I didn't know what he, he wouldn't say anything. And the guy never said anything. He goes, I just holstered my gun, and I started running. <laughs> so I said, all right, well, that, that'll work. And, and so we... Uh, so the EMS is saying, you, gotta, you guys got to get this guy into the hospital. He's bleeding out fast. I can remember seeing his blood. It was one of those 100-degree days in Georgia, and the, you know, his blood was running over into a drain uh, there in the parking lot. And we were getting a crowd around us, and it was getting a little restless, and I and, uh, thought, we, we better get out of here. We better uh, move this guy quick. So we, we got the gurney out. We lifted this guy up, put him down face down, and the whole time, he's never said a word. He's never said anything to us. Um, but during that fight, you know, it was one of those things where I went from white to red to almost black because it was just, it was one of those uh, uh, moments where we, one of us could have gotten really hurt. And we didn't know the situation and we didn't know what was going on and we, we couldn't figure this guy out. He's not saying anything. He's not giving us any information. And so I get him on the gurney, and, and he's just, he's, we're holding him down. He's just, he's, he's bowing up, and he's lifting us up. And I said, all right, somebody watch my patrol car. Take it back to the station. I'm going to sit on this guy until we get to the hospital. So I just sat on him. And ambulance and police escort, and we're flying about 100 miles an hour down the interstate. And we get into the hospital, and we're running them in fast, you know, and, and we get them into the ER, and the, the, the doctors are looking around, they said, my, you know, the blood's just coming out, and the, he said, my goodness, what happened? I said, doc, I don't know. Um, and he said, you need to take these handcuffs off. I said, <laughs> we're not, I said, doc, we're not taking these handcuffs off. He goes, you don't understand, this man's about to die, you need to take these handcuffs off. And I said, you don't understand what we just went through. I'm not taking his handcuffs off. I said, Doc, if we take his handcuffs off, this operating room is going to get destroyed. And he said, I'm telling you to take these handcuffs off. And I said, off the question. I'm not going to do it. And so he reaches down. He said, he said young man, young man, you're gonna, 
we're going to take these handcuffs off. You're going you're gonna to be okay, aren't you? You're going to behave yourself. And this guy reaches up and he looks at that doctor with one good eye and he says, I am half machine. And the doctor goes, okay, well, we're going to leave these handcuffs on for a little bit. Um, and uh, so let's just get him in the operating room. So situational awareness. Know your surroundings. That story, that story, uh, my son always calls it the Terminator story. But one of the most, one of the most important things that we learned in, in law enforcement, and it also is very applicable to our walk in, in, in our spiritual walk, is we knew what was on our belt. We knew what was on our belt. We knew the tools that we had. We had our gun. We had our OC spray. We had the tasers. We had the extra mags. We had two sets of handcuffs. We had our ass baton, and we became very proficient in it. We knew when to take it out. We knew when to put it away. And you wouldn't come here and buy a gun and, and take it home after this weekend and go, you know, I, I, I didn't really practice with it, but I'm going to put it up on the, my, my dresser here, and I'm going to figure out, I'll figure out how to use it later. Because when that moment comes... You don't want to be figuring out how to slide the, put a round in the chamber, or, or uh, uh, where's my extra mags, or how do I uh, even load this thing? You want to you want to know what's on your belt, and so when we, as Christians, as we're walking through life, we need to know what's on our tool belt, and the scriptures prepare us. The st- scriptures teach us to. Um, know when to, to move in and talk to somebody. The, the scriptures teach us to uh, love. And how do we know when to use those tools? And how do we know when to, to talk to our sons and talk to that coworker and, 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 and learn to become that better husband and take new territory in our own lives? I want to show this this picture right here. Uh, can you guys bring that up? We were um, we took a family vacation this past year, and we were out in California. Uh, we my, my daughter graduated from high school. We went across country, and we came up on this weird structure. You know, we were up on uh, we were up on this coastline, and you guys know what this is? Like it's a pill bunker. Um, and I couldn't figure out why it was up there on, you know, it's kind of a weird thing to see on U.S. US soil. We hiked up onto this bluff, and here's this, here's this pill bunker, and it's, there's nothing around it. There's no historical plaque, or there's no uh, really marker of what it was. I had to Google it. I'm out there on the cliff trying to figure out what this thing is. And after Pearl Harbor was bombed, some of these started showing up on the East Coast. Uh, the military was setting these things up, and they were, we were watching for Japan. We were watching for attack. We were uh, becoming ready and prepared for anything coming across the ocean. So at one point, this thing had some pretty big cannons in it. It was staffed with a group of guys, and we were holding our ground on the, on the west coast, and we were watching for the enemy, and we were alert, and we were ready. 
And as I stood there and I watched, I looked at this thing covered in gang, gang graffiti, and my kids crawled up on the top. That's my, that's my son up on top and my daughter over on, on the left side there. Uh, there was some pot smoke rolling out from the inside. And I told my kids, I was like, eh, somebody's in there. Get, why don't you climb on down? And um, so they climbed down, and we, I was looking at this thing, and I'm thinking, man, you know, the brave men that stood here and, and fought for this country and held the ground and held the line. Um, this was somebody's bean field at one point. And so I walked over to the edge of the, I walked over to the cliff lit, and it was, it's just surrounded by cliffs, and there was a beach down below. And I was looking down there, and there's all these flowers, and I noticed these two dudes down there. There was sunbathing nude. And I thought, man, if this was back in the day, you know, that guy would have been... <laughs> and so I saw I was going to have a little fun with this and I, I said hey my wife's name is Dawn I said hey Dawn I said come look at these flowers and so <laughs> she walked over she looked over she said, she's hitting me and you know but this is a picture of what our home what can happen in our own homes if we begin to relax we begin to not be the watchman we're meant to be we begin to let our guard down. Sin creeps in. We lose our sense of stewardship. We lose our sense of um, what matters. And this, 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 this garrison, this, this pill bunker that's been sitting up there for 60, 70 years, and you can just see the sin just roll in. At one point, this was a stronghold. At one point, this was filled with military men, and now it's filled with pot smokers and uh, gang graffiti and nude guys laying around. Guys, we each have our own garrison. We each have our own pill bunker to manage. And, and, and don't take that job lightly. Who's going to teach our children? Who's going who's gonna to raise up the next generation? You know, at... at, uh, at Twelve years ago, my wife and I decided to, to, go, to drive off a cliff and, and go after a children's home in West Virginia. And we chose West Virginia because of the need. We chose West Virginia because of uh, the poverty rates and the dropout rates. And we had done all this research and we decided, okay, if God's going to be in this thing, we're going we're to drive off a cliff. We're going to go after this thing. We're going to do it debt-free. We're moving to the poor state. I don't know how to raise money. I've never done any of this stuff before. I was a cop from Atlanta that I did three years stint as a house parent. Got my clock cleaned. I saw, you know, here I am working with gangs in Atlanta, and, and uh, I thought I got this thing licked, you know, and you become a house dad, and that's the toughest job I ever had. But what I witnessed when I was there was God working in the lives of these young men, guys restoring families. I saw a program that worked. When I was a cop in Atlanta, I saw all these different these, these state-funded programs where these kids were in and out of the system, and these kids weren't getting anywhere. They'd be sentenced four to six months, and it would be right back out on the street, and nothing would be different. And here's this private Christian ministry that I was working at that was making a difference, and things were happening. And I learned what it meant to go after the hearts of people. I, rem- I, I, I learned what it meant to be ready in the moment, be situationally aware of a child's needs and to move into that conversation. And it might be a moment where a kid's giving you the finger and you say, this is it. This is where I can get, what's, what's behind the root of this? 
I'm not going to simply put a, uh, a punishment on this kid. We're going to go out on the front porch and talk this through and find out what's, what's deeper here, what's going on deeper. And we saw, we saw God working in the lives of these boys, and we saw families being healed. And we said, you know what, this is, this is what God intended for Steve Finn to do up in West Virginia. Let's go after this thing. And so 12 years ago, we moved up there and uh, didn't really know what was going to happen. Um, didn't really have a, a lot of support. Uh, I started telling people about the vision. I began um, just telling whoever would listen. We didn't go around asking for money. Even had a pastor tell me once, uh, when I'm trying to talk to him about the vision, he said, let me give you some advice, son. Why don't you go back to Georgia where you came from? And so all these closed doors were happening. I was getting discouraged. I was thinking, all right, God, maybe I mis- mis- misread this. Maybe I, uh, maybe I made a mistake. I can go back to law enforcement. That was fun. That was good. That was a good career. Loved it. Um, God used me in that position for a, to do a lot of good. But it was at the end of that first year where God was just dwindling our bank account to $25 and, 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 and there was no traction and we couldn't find land to purchase. We couldn't find anybody to give us favor. God was teaching me to pray deeper. I was in my own boot camp again. I was in my own academy again. It was, it was uh, God takes us through those seasons sometimes where he's got to hone us and he's got to refine us just like he did when I was in the police academy. When you step up and say, God, here am I, send me. He might just, it might just get uncomfortable for a season because he might take you seriously and he might say, okay, we've got some work to do. It's time, for, it's time for a little boot camp. And that's what I was going through that first year. And so I was just, you know, there was a lot of moments like, God, are we ever going to get anywhere with this thing? And I'm, I'm going to have to just duck out of town. We can't find land. But I began to pray deeper. I began to dive into the scriptures more. Um, I learned what it meant to have some intense solitude and quiet time with the Lord for hours. And it was in the 11th hour that God opened the floodgates. And we got this 225-acre track up in West Virginia. And, and, and granted, this is, I mean, we got people outside of our gate that don't have running water. Okay, so it's, it's poor up there. Um, but this vision began to unfold. And the roads began to go in. And, and buildings began to be built. And children begin to show up, and and hearts begin to change, and staff comes on board. I've got a lot of staff here this weekend. Um, people from all over the country have stepped up to help help move this vision forward. But all of these things, all of these things, everything that you guys are experiencing this weekend, rope swings and the shooting and everything that we do with these young men, from working on a car to taking them fishing, to helping them tie a fly. Um, it's about reaching their hearts. All of this is about reaching your hearts, every bit of it. Tell a story about Bradley. Where's he at? A lot of you guys know Bradley Clodfelter. Um, he worked on staff here, and now he's on staff with us up at uh, Chestnut Mountain Ranch. So Bradley's got this young man in his house named Justin. And Justin is a firecracker. How long was Justin with us? Four years. Four years. And so I didn't think Justin was going to make it. Justin was led out of his fourth grade classroom in handcuffs. Uh, 
This was one of our tougher kids. And Bradley just, the patience he had, he lived in Bradley's house. Bradley's a house dad there at the, at the ranch. And he lived in Bradley's house, and Bradley just, <laughs> just continued to show this kid patience. And, and um, the kids would just walk out of class and run away and, and uh, uh, damage things. And, and, and he would get consequences, but he also would get love. And Bradley really knew how to balance that out. And I'm standing back from a distance and I'm watching this play out and I, and I knew Bradley was on the right track and um, just how he handled this was beautifully. But he just began giving this kid tough love and he had the consequences, but it was also moments to go deeper. It was almost like Bradley knew his situational awareness. He knew how to be ready to move and have those deeper conversations. And over time, and I mean a lot of time, this kid began to change. It was, um, there was one moment where he got really mad at Bradley for something, and he went outside, and Bradley's got a, a Toyota 4Runner, and he took a sharp rock, and he walked all the way around it and just, just scratched all the way from bumper to bumper on both sides. Bradley is an MFer, and uh, we had to call the sheriff. We charged him for criminal damage felony because we had to get his, his uh, car repainted. But it was during that time that we just saw this turn. You know, he thought he was going to get kicked out. He thought he was going to, he thought, okay, I finally got kicked out of this place. And, and he realized that, man, this, these people really love me. These people really care about me. And this, this phenomenal growth, it's only the gospel that can change a kid's heart like that. It's only the power of Christ's love in this kid's life that can turn things around. And Bradley, this should come from your lips. Um, why don't you just stand up and say, uh, what happened in the ponds? You know, I asked Justin one time, I said, 
I sat him down. I said, because uh, he spelled Bradley as an MF, or he spelled it M-F-E-R. And I said, hey, Justin, why'd you, uh, why'd you spell it that way? And he said, Mr. Steve is not good to swear. And I said, okay, all right. It's okay to do a felony and scratch, you know, somebody's paint job up, but let's not spell that word out, you know. Hey, you want to get into, you want to have some fun, just get into youth ministry. (laughs) This is never a dull moment. Guys, you know, sometimes for us that know the Lord and have a relationship with Him, don't sit back and let these years pass by. Discern what your path is. Circle the wagons with guys that can speak into your life. Maybe you guys have a vision. Maybe you guys have something God's been tapping on your shoulder for years. Don't let that go dormant. Don't let the the, the years turn into uh, the months turn into years and, and, and for this thing to just waste away. Find out what your purpose is. Ephesians 2 says we're created for good works. Find out what that is and begin to act on it. Be a doer. Be a doer. You know, sometimes the most dangerous thing in our house, it's not the gun on top of our fridge, it's the easy chair in our family room. We don't get up, we don't move, we don't act, and, and, and we just... Granted, I know home needs to be a place of rest, and we need to get our batteries recharged, but we can take it to an extreme where we're not, we're not doing anything. We're punching in 9 to 5, and we're coming home, and it's just another evening in front of the television. Begin to take territory in your house. Know when to be, discern what needs to happen in your home. Guys, don't let your sons have c- computers or their phones in their bedrooms at night. And explain to them why. That's a perfect opportunity to say, not just say, hey, I'm laying the law down. Leave your phone downstairs. But say, son, I know that there's struggles out here. I know that what men struggle with, and I'm I'm doing this to protect you. Use those moments to speak. Use those moments to teach. For some of us, praying with our wives would be the most crazy, uncomfortable thing we could ever think about. But if you guys just start somewhere, start at the dinner table for some of you guys. Start when you guys go to bed at night. Pray, and you don't know what to pray for? Pray for your kids. Pray for your families. Pray for your health. Pray for a long life. Begin to just pray for, for, for your stronghold and your bean field to be protected. And, and you're going to see the, the, these, this territory be taken. You're going to learn to pray more. You're going to be emboldened to take new territory. And, and, and this, this growth begins to happen because I know because I was there. You know, 16 years ago, I was, the, I was the, uh, the cop that showed up here. I'd only been a house dad for a few months, didn't know ministry, didn't know really anything about this. Okay, I was, I was here. And, and I saw, and I locked eyes with Rob Connie, and I saw that baptism, and I thought, why is that guy crying? You know, what's going on here? What, what is this all about? It's all about reaching your hearts. If you guys don't know the Lord, I pray that by the end of this weekend you do. Don't go home and let this weekend fade away. Let this be a moment in your life where there's some change that takes place. Get involved with your church. 
Find out where God's working and get plugged into it. My goodness. Uh, if you can't figure it out, come to West Virginia and I'll have you painting walls next week. There's, there's plenty to do. And I can look around this room and I can see men that, have, that I know over the years that have taken where they're at, where God has placed them, their post in life, and they've been able to figure out a way to reach the hearts of others. Uh, William Eves here from Alabama, he's got a, a karate studio, and he, he's been reaching the hearts of children and beginning to share the love of Christ through these, uh, these classes he's taken with these kids. He's figured out, hey, this is where God has me. This is the gifts God's given me. Um, I'm in this small town. I've got a bunch of kids that I've got their attention. I'm teaching them how to fight with their bodies. I'm going to teach them a little bit about how to fight with their minds. And I'm going to teach them about Jesus. Robbie Jacks, I mean, he's always toting some kid to lunch and talking to him. Um, I mean, his story's phenomenal. You know, I just, I, I just look around the room and I, can, I, I, know, I know people with different occupations and different backgrounds all across this country that have taken what God has given them and saying, okay, God, I'm going to act on this. You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to take the moment, I'm going to take what you've given me, and I'm going to try to reach somebody's heart today, just like I did in my garage when I, before I'd, I'd hit, the, hit the road. I said, God, give me this day. Give me this day. Let this, when I laid my head on my pillow at night, I prayed that it was, it was not a waste, that some territory was taken, that I was able to hold the line, and that I was able to tell somebody about you. Plant a seed in somebody's life. Guys, if you're wrestling with all this information, I mean, I never thought I'd be running a children's home in West Virginia. I married a girl from the South, and she reminds me of that every day. Um, it's cold up there. But you begin, to, you begin to be responsible for the territory God's given you, and you begin to show stewardship for the post that God has assigned you to. He's going to give you new ground. He's going to give you new responsibilities. When I was a young officer, I learned that pretty quick. I had, um, I'm going to close with this story. I had, a, I had a, a lieutenant that didn't really like me very much. I was, I was on fire. I was a Christian. I'd been there only for about a year, and I'm trying to figure things out, and I could barely fill my uniform out. I was tall and skinny, and uh, I loved the Lord, and I was probably one of the only few Christians on, in my, on that uh, shift. Um, and I remember she called me in one time and asked me to close the door. And she said, she said, sit down for a second. I said, all right. And uh, she said, let me tell you something. She goes, what do you want to do in law enforcement? And I said, help people, you know, do the Lord's work. She's like, okay. She goes, well, you've only been doing this for about a year. She said, let me give you some advice. She goes, she goes I think you're too nice. She goes, why don't you, why don't you uh, find another career? Why don't you go somewhere else? I thought, is that all? And she said, that's it. And so I walked out of there. And, you know, <laughs> and Nehemiah, Nehemiah's got this vision of building the wall, and there's these people trying to get them off the wall. And that was one of those moments in my life where, where it was a deciding moment where I could have listened to this, this seasoned officer and thought, she doesn't like me for some reason. She ended up quitting a couple of years later and, for whatever reason, but she, 
She didn't like me, and she didn't want me to be a cop anymore. And I thought, you know what? This, this ain't going to happen. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I need to step up my game. I need to be more focused on what God has got me in my post. And, and it was the little things that, that I began to do that earned me more responsibility and more recognition. And the following year, I got officer of the year. And you can see how God just, if, you, if, you're, if, you're, if you're, your stewardship is high with the little things, God's going to give you new territory. Pray with your wives. Pray with your kids. I'm going to close with the scripture I opened up with. 1 Peter 1.13. It's got three points in it. You guys can use this as talking points later in your groups. 1 Peter 1.13. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. And set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. Prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. Let's close. Father God, I, I thank you for this opportunity to speak to these men, Lord. Sixteen years ago, I walked onto this property for the first time and didn't know much. Lord, I thank you for the journey you've got us on, everyone in this room. Lord, I pray that these men will learn to prepare their minds for action. That they'll learn situational awareness. They'll learn how to read people and how to act and how to move and how to be self-controlled. God, as we go home after this weekend, I pray that our, our post is clear. And for some of us, Lord, we don't know what that is. We came here this weekend trying to figure it out. Lord, I pray for you to stir among us that the conversations will be bold. Take new territory in our own hearts, Lord. Lord, we give this entire day to you, and we thank you for this awesome weekend in the mountains here at Snowbird. In Jesus' name, amen.